Prologue On January 18, 2020, I took my first steps onto the path that would forever change not only my life, but the life of everyone around me. I quit drinking. Since that day, everything I thought I knew about myself has changed for the better. The person I knew for 48 years became a stranger to me, and I do not miss him. The ways I dealt with the world feel foreign and like a bad dream. The things that used to annoy and anger me are not worth my time anymore. The people I thought were my people, I learned, were not my people. Where once I was directionless and without goals, I became highly motivated and goal-oriented. All the time I wasted on meaningless and negative behavioral activities is now instead filled with meaningful, creative, and focused tasks. These tasks feel my drive to succeed in the world as my new and improved self. To be honest, and this has proven to be quite controversial, my path through recovery and sobriety has been, dare I say, easy. My path leading up to sobriety, on the other hand, was definitely not. I consider myself incredibly blessed to have been what is considered a functional alcoholic. While I do not wish the struggle of alcoholism at any level on anyone, I can say with incredible certainty I was lucky in my alcoholism. I say that because even though I had developed an incredibly consistent and damaging drinking habit, I was able to get through my day-to-day life without losing my job, house, relationships, children, or suffering a severe injury. Well, at least not physically, anyway. Looking back, I do not know how I got through the days the way I did. I did not sleep much, and I was in a perpetual state of illness. I lacked patience, and my attitude toward the world and people around me was anything but positive. I don't believe I ever held a victim mentality in regard to the way my life turned out, but I did not have much positive to say about the world. I was always pretty aware most of the blame could be placed on my shoulders, and I carry that blame like a badge of honor. When I remember, which I rarely try to do these days, the words I used to use to describe myself, I shudder. Broken, damaged, unworthy, undeserving, selfish, lost, etc. How did I ever make it as far as I did while actively poisoning myself on a daily basis and living in such a state of disrepair? I went to college at the age of 37 while working full-time, married, and with a child. I received my bachelor's degree and then went on to obtain my master's degree in teaching and special education. I then became a teacher and now the department head at my current building. All of this I did while drinking heavily and in a continual hungover state. Before I get into the absolute joys and wonder that accompanied my path through recovery and sobriety, I think it is relevant to talk a little about what got me here in the first place. If I am honest, this is my least favorite part when talking about sobriety and recovery. I prefer to concentrate on the positive aspects of making the life-changing decision to quit drinking, but I guess there is some benefit to understanding the path that leads people to addiction too. My path began around the age of 12. I honestly can't remember how old I was, but I believe that is pretty close. I lived on a small farm in Oregon with my family. 
which consisted of my mom, dad, and two older brothers. We had two neighbors in the vicinity of our farm, but they were not very close in actual proximity. One of the neighbors was a young couple who recently had a baby. For reasons I cannot fathom to this day, they asked me to babysit for them one night. I never babysat it in my life. But in comparison to Buckingham, it seemed like a pretty good alternative way of making money. So I agreed. The night I was scheduled to babysit, some family friends were visiting from out of town, whom we had not seen for many years. I asked the son, closest to my age, if he wanted to accompany me while I babysat so we could at least hang out, and he agreed. I went over to the family's house by myself to learn what they expected of me that night before asking if they minded if my friend joined me. They were fine with him joining me later. The husband showed me around the house and took me into the bedroom, where the baby was sleeping. He noted that the baby would probably sleep the entire time. Before they left, the husband offered the contents of the fridge up for my consumption, including the shelf full of beer. I remember thinking how odd it was that he would offer me, a 12-year-old boy, a beer while I babysat his child. At the same time, I thought, that's cool. They left, and I'm pretty sure the first thing I did was open the fridge and marvel at the amount of beer that lined the shelf of the refrigerator. I took one out, popped it open, took a drink, and probably grimaced at the taste. I can't remember my initial physical reaction to the taste, but I can't imagine I enjoyed it. I then called my friend and asked him to come over and visit. When he showed up, I proudly offered him a beer. He and his family were highly religious, and his reaction to my question is still quite clear. He was astounded by my offering. He declined, and for probably less than an hour, he sat across from me with a rigid and protective posture while I delved into the free booze readily at hand. It did not take long before my friend told me he was not comfortable with my drinking and would rather go home. I hadn't seen this family friend, whom I grew up with, for several years. Yet the choice I made in that situation was to say goodbye to him and continue drinking. I continued drinking until eventually passing out on the sofa until my neighbors came home. When they arrived, it was apparent what had happened, though they said nothing. He drove me home and I snuck up to my room and passed out in my bed. The next morning, I threw up several times and felt like I was going to die. My older brothers picked up on what was happening and took advantage of the situation by making fun of me all morning while at church. My oldest brother kept talking about runny eggs and cigarette butts, I assumed to prolong my feeling of sickness. I barely made it through church, and at breakfast afterward, I made up an excuse as to why I did not feel like eating. I somehow made it through the day without my parents ever knowing what had happened. The family I babysat for never mentioned the occurrence, and we became close friends throughout my childhood. That was my introduction to alcohol. From that point on, I looked forward to and went out of my way to find ways to drink. I did not get a lot of opportunities at the age to access alcohol, but as I reached my high school years, I became more creative and was quite good at acquiring alcohol whenever I wanted it, which was quite often. I was a tall, fit, clean-cut athlete, and people, for whatever reason, trusted me whenever I accosted them for alcohol. 
People just didn't say no to me very often. I remember even going straight up to the counter and buying beer at times because I had become so confident in my ability to acquire it. Before I was 16, I was already developing quite a drinking habit. The second strongest memory I have of alcohol was, and I don't know how many times I did this, when I drank a glass of vodka in the shower at my mom's house before going to school dances. To be clear, I said a glass, not a shot or two or three, but a full water glass of vodka. Then I would drive to the dance. God forgive me for the shit I have done. The frequency and consistency of my drinking did not de-escalate through my high school years. At some point, and I have very little memories of these years, I was also introduced to marijuana and took many liberties with that as well. After high school, I joined the military, which only further escalated my drinking habits. And I will not bore you with the multitude of stupidity I engaged in while serving my country. I will say this though, because it is relevant to how I eventually found my path away from alcohol. There were times in the military where I showed up at the boat and pretended to be wasted because it was expected. I did not want to deal with the harassment that would follow if my shipmates thought I was sober. I don't believe anything else needs to be said about the military's role in my drinking habits. As an adult, and I mean over the next 36 years, I continued on my trajectory of alcohol addiction with little thought of the harm I was doing to myself mentally and physically. Let's not forget the harm I was doing to everyone around me. I was married several times, though none of the divorces I would attribute to alcohol because both parties in the relationship drank too much. I drank more than my partners most of the time. Nevertheless, I'm sure it did not help in terms of our ability to communicate. As time passed in my adulthood, I began to realize that I drank to celebrate and to grieve, to party and to be alone, when I was bored and when I was busy, for every reason and for no reason. I drank because I had to. My wife and I had begun talking about our concerns with drinking two years before we finally decided to take the fateful step into sobriety. There was no question in our minds that we drank too much. The question was whether or not we needed to give up alcohol. Neither of us wanted to accept that notion because drinking had become such an integral part of our daily and nightly routine, as well as our personal identity. During those two years of trying to come to terms with our alcoholism, we tried many different approaches to try and moderate our alcohol consumption. Looking back at this now, it is actually quite comical. Our attempts at controlling something that was not controllable was simply gratuitous. It is amazing the steps we will go to in order to protect something we believe in, even if what we believe in is the worst thing for us. We've all done it with other aspects of our lives too. Have you ever defended someone because you had built up a belief they could do no wrong? Then when you learn they actually did, you could not wrap your mind around the fact you were wrong? This is how I felt about alcohol. I did not want to admit this thing I believed in strongly was not actually the friend I thought it to be. My closest and most trusted friend was actually my enemy. In the event you are newly sober or embarking on the trending sober curious track, let me share with you a couple of attempts I made to moderate my drinking. My go-to plan for moderate drinking was 
to not drink during the weekdays. I'm a teacher, so it was pretty easy to justify why feeling hungover in the morning was not beneficial for my students nor me. It made me less patient, grumpy, and not as quickly able to deal with unforeseen yet inevitable problems that would occur every day. I thought, if I don't drink during the week, then when Friday rolls around, I can drink as much as I want and not feel bad about it. Every time I would attempt this moderate drinking strategy, I would go into it feeling like it was the best idea ever. Generally, I would make it a day or two. When Wednesday rolled around, well, there was always something really shocking, exciting, sad, or nothing really at all that I would use to justify why it was okay to break my moderation plan and drink that evening. Just like that, my well-thought-out and strategically planned idea fell apart. I wouldn't even try again the next day because what was the point? Another of my ingenious plans to moderate my drinking was to never drink two days in a row. I thought, if I don't drink every day, then the most I would drink in a week would be four out of seven days. That's a 40 to 60% reduction in alcohol consumption. Let's do that. Again, I would make it a day or two, but inevitably, on one of the preceding days after a drinking day, something would happen or nothing would happen, and I would find a way to justify why it was okay to break my plan and drink. Looking back at how I justified my drinking, I'm astonished at my ability to convince myself to continue drinking. I went out of my way and had to even be creative at times to make up excuses why it was okay to drink. Not to throw my partner under the bus, but we both had an uncanny ability to convince the other why it is okay to break one of our moderation plans and drink. If I'm truly honest, it didn't take more than a suggestion on either of our parts to get the bottles tipping in the direction we ultimately wanted them to tip, which was into our glasses. Finally, one of my last feeble attempts at moderating my drinking was when my partner and I decided we should not be drinking at home every night. We thought, what if we only drink when we go out? We obviously cannot do that every night, so if we stick to that plan, we will definitely cut back on our drinking. The first problem with this plan was we could, in fact, go out every night. We did this until we realized it was just too expensive to go out drinking every night. So what is the obvious solution to that problem? We justified it was too expensive to drink out every night, so we would drink at home instead, instantly feeling better about our smart and responsible financial decision to save money. Oh, the tangled webs the alcoholic weaves in order to continue the path of their addiction. Suffice it to say, we never found a moderation scheme that worked for us, and I'm happy to save you the trouble of trying to find your own moderation schemes. If you're reading this book, Sober Blogs, listening to sober podcasts, or joining social media sober groups, you cannot moderate your drinking either. Skip that tiring and improbable step completely and save yourself a lot of time, confusion, and headaches. One of the most profound statements I read about while on my sober journey came from Annie Grace in her book, This Naked Mind. She stated how most people do not drink less over time. What she means is, if you are a drinker, chances are you are steadily drinking more over time. Even if it is an extremely slow progression, it is still progressing. For some of us, though, the progression is quite visible and fast and will eventually lead us to the point of knowing we need to make a change. I imagine that is why you are here. 
It was what brought me to the point of realizing I cannot moderate my drinking, and it was time to find another solution. The solution for me was to quit drinking. After decades of trying to figure out a way to avoid the actual cessation of alcohol, my partner and I finally decided to take our first steps into sobriety. We simply had enough of the hangovers, guilt, worries about our health, arguments, the uncertainty of details from the night prior, of all the many negative aspects associated with the illustrious liquid that had taken over and ran our lives for the better part of our adult life. We had had enough, and thank God we both felt the same way at the same time. One of the best parts of my sobriety revolved around having a partner who not only understood the process of what I was doing, but was fully invested and as excited as I was to finally get the alcohol monkey off our backs. It was December 2019 when we finally made the decision and set a date. We knew we didn't want to try to quit drinking during the holidays, so we picked the first Monday after the New Year's celebration to begin our sober journey. The date was January 5th. 2020. Before I continue, let me backtrack a few months to better set up the events of our quit date. In October 2019, I was already on a path of healing and trying to work through my addictions. I I had several. I was seeing a therapist and had been for about a year. While in therapy, my therapist worked diligently to help see me through a cognitive behavioral therapy lens, and I fought it most of the way. I could understand what it was she was trying to teach me, but I did not know how to enact it in my personal life. The therapy is based on the idea we develop core beliefs throughout our lives. Whether the beliefs are good or bad, they govern the way we see the world and, therefore, how we react to the world. In the event of a person developing a negative core belief, the person tends to seek out and find evidence that supports their negative core belief and, therefore, justifies it with every new piece of evidence. The problem with the negative core belief is the person can only see the evidence that supports their belief, whether or not conflicting evidence is present. Until the person allows themselves to see both sides of the evidence about their belief, they are limited in their potential for emotional growth. My therapist drew elaborate drawings depicting how the negative beliefs and evidence fit into one another and how the opposing evidence did not fit. Picture a square peg in a round hole. Nevertheless, it just didn't fully click for me until it did. I remember driving home from a session in October 2019, feeling frustrated with myself for not growing emotionally at a quicker pace. I was getting tired of talking about my addictions and not ever feeling strong enough to make the elusive step towards walking away from the comfort that my addictions afforded me. For whatever reason, I decided I was going to jump off the cliff and quit all my addictions at the same time and figure out a way to make it happen. I texted my therapist my plan when I got home, and I think she said something along the lines of, okay, sounds good. I don't really remember what she said, but I am sure she followed it up by asking me to write about the process to help me work through the feelings I was experiencing. Throughout therapy, I kept trying to use writing as a tool but I never really found the proper motivation. I set a date and embarked on my absolutely insane plan of quitting all of my addictions cold turkey. I don't remember how long I lasted, but I remember very clearly realizing after a short period of time there was no way I was going to be able to stick to my plan. However, the 
First time since I began using nicotine again, about two years prior, I had a strong desire to stick with the cessation of nicotine and give myself a break with the others. My nicotine vehicle of choice was vaping. Don't ask me how that happened. It just did. Regardless, I had garnered a strength and desire to remain on the path of giving up nicotine. I told my therapist what was going on and she was very supportive of my decision. With that, I took the first step of emotional and physical healing. The first two months of quitting nicotine was just awful. I was grumpy and struggling emotionally and physically to get through the withdrawals and cravings accompanying the quitting of such a horrific chemical. I gained 20 pounds in two months. I swear to God, I could watch the needle on the scale move up every single day. Maintaining my weight as a 48-year-old man was very important to me and had been for a long time. To see myself gaining weight by the day only fueled the anger I was already feeling from the nicotine withdrawals. I can honestly say during this time, I was doing the epitome of grinning and bearing it. I don't even remember going to therapy much during this period. I think I was simply in survival mode. And you know what? I somehow survived. Barely. During all of this, and looking back at it now, I can only surmise I was sincerely a glutton for punishment. We then came up with a plan to quit drinking together. Oh yeah, that's a good plan. Nevertheless, we set a date to begin our alcohol-free journey, which landed on January 5th, 2020. We figured it would be a good time after drinking throughout the holidays and especially on New Year's Eve. For whatever reason, we thought it was a good idea to start on a Monday. When the date finally rolled around, my partner was leaving for a trip and would be gone our first day sober together. I woke up on that day immediately regretting our decision to quit drinking, and combined with my already not-so-committed relationship with nicotine cessation, it made for a very long day. By the time the evening rolled around, I knew there was no way in hell I was going to stay off alcohol with nicotine badgering my every thought, too. I called my wife that evening and told her I was not ready to quit drinking yet. Thankfully, she was very understanding, but she went ahead and began her journey without me. The realization I was not ready to support my wife on a plan we had agreed upon together sparked a slow burn inside of me. For the next 13 days, I pondered my plan and talked with my therapist before finally coming to the conclusion I was never fully going to be ready to quit drinking, and I just needed to take the step. One of the most notable events that took place while she was sober and I was still drinking was on a snowboarding day we shared together. At lunchtime, I went ahead and drank two beers while she had soda water, and I remember thinking how screwed up it was I was not supporting her on her journey just because I was not ready to begin mine. I think that was the turning point for me. We were planning to go on a snowboarding trip on January 17th in Colorado, so I made January 18th my new date to quit drinking and begin my journey. Since she was already traveling, my wife picked up my son from California and met me in Colorado. I drank all the way there on the plane. When I arrived, I remember stressing out because nothing was open for me to get my last drink before going to bed. Nevertheless, on day one, I got up and we went snowboarding all day. We met some friends for dinner and I remember thinking how weird it was going to be to not drink at restaurants and while visiting with friends. I made it through the day and night and the next day. I decided to carry through on something I had wanted to do for a very long time. When I woke up, I grabbed my computer and walked downstairs to the lobby, 
where I ordered a coffee and started a blog. I began writing a blog for day two of my sober journey. I had been wanting to get back into writing for about seven years and just couldn't muster the motivation to do so. On that day, January 19th, my second day of sobriety, I vowed to write a blog entry about my sober journey every day for 30 days. As you will learn in this book, I not only wrote every day for 30 days, but I also decided to push my writing goal to 101 days and change the title of my blog to 101 Days of Sobriety. I completed that goal and kept writing every day for around 150 days before I decided to scale back on the frequency of my blog posts, which is where I am now. I'm still writing my blog, but it is now called Sober Militia. After I completed the first 101 days of sobriety blogs, I decided to take a chance and see if I could turn them into a book, which is why we are here now. I didn't think just reading 101 blogs would be very interesting, so I thought I would sprinkle in some of my history and reflections along the way. This prologue was intended to set you up with some background about me and my journey before sobriety. The rest of the book will focus on my journey since taking the first step on my incredible path of sobriety. I will pause the blogs at certain milestones throughout the first 101 days to offer more insight into what I was feeling at the time. I will also reflect on how I feel looking back at that period of my life in hindsight. There were a couple of times throughout these 101 days when I embarked on some series of posts lasting for a week or more. I will discuss why I wanted to spend more time on those topics. The last 26 days of the 101 days, I focused on what I called the ABCs of sobriety, which was a fun way to wrap up the journey. I can't even begin to tell you how fast those last 26 days flew by. I had such a great time writing about my sobriety every day. I've kept my blog going, and I've begun working on other ways to work with the sober community. I've met some really amazing people in this community, and one of the most powerful underlying themes about this whole process was when I unintentionally found the desire to be of help to others embarking on their journeys. It is my hope, whether you are new to your path or a seasoned veteran, the insight presented in this book will help you maintain your focus and find ways to approach your journey with a more positive view. What you are doing for yourself, your mind, your body, and everyone around you is nothing short of amazing. Stay strong, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay sober.